Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here nationwide from Atlanta, Georgia, and my flagship station, WSB. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you weren't here for the first hour, I got to tell you, yesterday afternoon, I got push alerts from the New York Times, the Washington Post, and CNN letting me know that Stacey Abrams was running for governor of Georgia. Now, they didn't push alert these to me just because I'm living in Georgia. No, no, they sent them out nationwide to let every American know Stacey Abrams is running for re-election, or at least she would claim to, in Georgia. Well, there's somebody else running for the governor's mansion in Georgia. That happens to be the guy who actually lives in the current governor's mansion, the incumbent governor, Brian Kipp, who joins me by phone. Governor, how are you? Hey, good afternoon, Eric. Doing great. Beautiful so, day in the great state of Georgia. It is pretty here, although I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'm ready for the cold temperatures. I guess I am. But now that the Braves have won, I've got all my quarter zips that have the Braves logo, so I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, go Braves. All right. So I, I, I won't ask you about when they're signing Freddie Freeman. I will ask you the, this important question, <laughs> though. Uh, Stacey Abrams steps on Andre Dickens, the mayor of mayor-elect. He's got 12 hours before she decides to announce she's running for governor yesterday and thinks that we need some real turn in the state of Georgia. And and I'll just ask initially your response. Well, look, I've been preparing for this fight that we're going to be in for almost three years now, the fight for the soul of our state. That's what I told hardworking Georgians when I first got in the governor's race, that I felt like this race, the race against Stacey Abrams and the radical left, was indeed a fight for the soul of our state. We've seen that play out across the country, depending on who your governor was over the last 18 months and we're ready for that fight you know i've stood up to keep our economy open get our schools open standing with law enforcement making sure our churches were open and they want to take us in a completely different direction you know they're going to try to use this new variant as a reason to close our economy again close our schools close our churches defund the police and they want to indoctrinate our kids and so it's a very clear choice to me and i'm looking forward to this fight now, regarding this, back when you were reopening the state sooner than any other governor of the nation, you got some criticism from the White House and President Trump, but you got a lot of criticism from Democrats in the state, including Stacey Abrams, who said we should have stayed locked down a whole lot longer. All right. Yeah. I mean, you know, look at the numbers. We're having record year in economic prosperity, economic development in all parts of our state. 74% of the projects that we did last year in a record year were outside of metro Atlanta, so making sure nobody, uh, not depend, depending on what zip code you're in, you still had great economic opportunity in our state to strengthen rural Georgia, been doing rural broadband. But look, this isn't, isn't the only thing that she's been critical on. You know, she was critical of our elections bill, the Elections Integrity Act, to make it easy to vote and hard to cheat when you had common sense things in there like a voter ID requirement on absentee ballots and securing drop boxes. I've been in the fight on that. I've been in the fight against her when she was trying to push and get the all-star game moved before she wasn't. And I've stood up and pushed back against the woke cancel culture. And we're going to be reminding people of all of those issues, as well as our fight to make sure that people are safe during COVID and and, uh, you know, we passed over 52 health care bills, given the largest teacher pay raise in state history. We fought to get rid of ridiculous testing in our schools and make sure our kids are not indoctrinated by CRT and other things. And we're going to keep doing that. 
Now, I want to ask you real quick about, you mentioned the the voting bill. We had these municipal elections in Georgia, big turnout in Atlanta. I'm unaware of people who were unable to vote because of the election reform bill that went through. There doesn't seem to be an outcry. And in fact, for maybe the first time ever, Fulton County seemed to actually conduct an election that went off without a hitch. Yeah, shocking there wasn't voter suppression because we have a a bill in Georgia that makes it easy to vote and hard to cheat. And that's what I've always stood for uh, when I was secretary of state and as governor, that we have secure, accessible, fair elections. I think the vast majority of Georgians just want to have a process that's fair and accessible for both sides or even people in the middle, wherever you are politically, but also know that it's going to be a secure process. People want to have confidence in the process. That's what we've done with our bill. The Democrats, including Stacey Abrams and President Biden, overplayed their hand because they didn't know what was in the bill when they started criticizing it and calling it Jim Crow 2.0 and other things. And they used that to hurt small business owners, many of them minorities, by moving the All-Star game and uh, really taking $100 million of economic prosperity out of the service sector industry, which was hurting the worst during covid uh, but thankfully, the Braves uh, righted that wrong uh, by winning the World Series. Yes, indeed. Now, I, I, let me ask you, running for re-election, let's say you get re-elected, the voters reward you. What, what do you want to do in a second term that you haven't already done? Well, this is the thing that people need to realize, Eric, and this is what I'm really looking forward to in the campaign. You know, I ran on a record. I simply told people I was tired of politicians that would say one thing and do another. So I was hell-bent and determined to make sure that I told people what I was going to do, and then when I got in office, that's exactly what I've done. And if you look at that record, uh, we've accomplished just about everything that I set out to do. And to me, as a Republican, and watching what's happened around the country and in other races and in races here, uh, we've also, you know, we've got to point out the differences, and they are very stark differences in the direction that they want to take our state, the other side. But we've also got to tell people what we're for and what we stand for and what we're going to do. And that's what this campaign is going to be about, reminding people of that record, but then continuing to fight for the things that I believe in, like having the number one state in the country for business, giving people great opportunity, continue to work on rural broadband, continue to provide more access for in, in health care and also reform the sister system and lower private sector costs. You know, the other side never talks about that. They just talk about having government run, you know, health care where, where, you know, you're mandated to do something from the federal government. You can't even talk to your doctor about it. And that's what we're seeing with Biden's vaccine mandates right now. Well, you know, you raised this point on, on access to health care and costs. Uh, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, Georgia's two senators, are backing in the Build Back Better plan now, a provision that would take health care funds away from public hospitals in states like Georgia unless you expand Medicaid uh, to the poor, as Stacey Abrams has been wanting. And I wanted to get your reaction to that. Well, I think it's insane to be taking any money away from our, you know, precious hospital systems, especially right now. They have done heroes' work and the Lord's work during COVID-19, and I could not be more prouder and thankful uh, of all these systems. You know, our approach in Georgia, we, we have many more people on our Medicaid rolls. We've invested in health care in our state. I look forward to talking about that. But we also are going to be having multiple providers in the private sector uh, system on the exchange next year versus what we had 
you know, prior to my administration because of our reinsurance program. So there's more competition. We're driving down costs and making it affordable for Georgia families to actually provide health care to their families in the private marketplace. Um, And that's really what we should be doing as conservatives and making sure that we're giving people a hand up, but also a path to prosperity where they're not continually on government-run health care. Now, I got to switch gears and talk about someone other than you and your campaign, because one of the things you did as governor is brought to the forefront the first statewide uh, Hispanic official to hold statewide office in Georgia. That would be John King, who's being sworn in as the now permanent insurance commissioner in the state of Georgia. Well, look, John's done a great job. I mean, he's not only been a a great insurance and fire safety commissioner, but as you know, he's a 30-year-plus Georgia National Guard member. Uh, He's served building the border wall. He's helped with the COVID response all over the country. He's been a big part of our task force and and helping us with the COVID response, along with General Cardin and many of our other folks like Dr. Toomey and I'm just so proud of, of John, and it's uh, also, you know, very historic that he is the first Latino constitutional officer in our state, and he's doing a great job, and I'm looking forward to permanently swearing him in and keeping his good work going. And I think that's something that is really going to serve our party well, uh, is the diverse appointments I've made of giving opportunity for all people uh, to participate in state government and make sure that everybody's being represented, even people that may not have voted for me the first time, because I want them to vote for me the next time. Now, to get there, there are growing rumors, I guess, out there that you may have to deal with a, a fractious Republican primary, and you've got President Trump out there trying to find someone to to challenge you in the primary. I mean, how do you see the lay of the landscape for that? Well, listen, that's not something I can control. I can tell you that I had been in the fight on these issues for elections reform. Uh, the, the person that stood up after we passed that bill and pushed back against the national media merit narrative and a big uh, bunch of big companies that were trying to pressure Georgia to bend and bowing with our elections bill, and I did not, and I'm not going to, and we're going to fight that in court and win, even though we got the Biden Justice Department suing us. Um, I'm going to continue to stand up for our law enforcement, do something about violent crime in the city of Atlanta and other cities around our state when other leaders are not doing that. We're going to continue to push a great educational system here, workforce development to keep our economy going and growing jobs and opportunity in our state and many other issues. And, you know, anybody else that's wanting to get in the fight, you'd have to ask them why. Well, listen, I, I, I don't want to keep you all day. I know you got stuff to do, but I, I've got a, I got a campaign idea for you for this next legislative session. I think you should support a law that would ban Florida drivers from driving in the fast lane in South Georgia because I've never met <laughs> in the one. Left lane. Yes, I've never met one that actually drives the speed limit. <laughs> They're always. I'm, I'm open to that because I've been behind plenty of folks in Florida that are driving in the left lane. So we'll we'll do a little due diligence on that. That'll be perfect, Governor. Listen, best of luck to you and and Merry Christmas to you and your wife. I guess I get to say Merry Christmas now. That's right. Merry Christmas. God bless, Eric. Thank you. Take care. Y'all, I'm, I'm telling you, listen, I, I don't know where you are in the nation. In fact, I was visiting my parents in Louisiana, and I was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and there was somebody I had to be in the left lane, and I got in the left lane, and there was somebody, it was 70 miles an hour, it was the speed limit, this person was doing 65, everybody swerved around him, it was a Floridian! 
It was a Floridian. It always is. I'm telling you, in South Georgia, the governor could sweep every county in South Georgia if he just supported a law that said no Floridian is allowed to drive in the left lane because they all drive so slow. It is rare that you will find a Floridian driving. And I think what it is in Florida, they actually use airplanes to do the speed traps. So they all go slow because they're scared to death of the Florida State Patrol going after them. I, I think you got to ban them in the fast and in, in going in the fast lane. And the Gab County drivers in Georgia as well, some of the worst in the nation. You ever see a crazy driver and it's got a Georgia tag? I guarantee you they're from DeKalb County. I don't know why that is, but it's just it. That's the case. So there you have it. The governor of the state of Georgia preparing for re-election against Stacey Abrams and. Any sort of uh, primary campaign he may have against him coming up, he's going to make it a fight, ready for re-election, ready to keep doing what he's doing, bringing jobs to the state and revitalizing the economy. You will notice, by the way, one of the things he emphasized was what he's doing outside of Atlanta, bringing jobs outside just Atlanta. He won his first election with the support of voters outside of Atlanta, in large part because suburban voters in Atlanta thought he was too Trumpy. Well, now he doesn't have to worry about that because Trump hates his guts. And in South Georgia and Middle Georgia, he's brought a bunch of jobs helping revitalize the economy. So if he can stave off this primary fight, which he may have, uh, I mean, he's got some sailing to do in the general election with really bad headwinds against the Democratic Party. Hello there. Should you wish to be a part of this year's program, the phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I mentioned my Christmas tree troubles. It's actually a real-life supply chain problem that I myself am struggling with. Three-quarters of my fake Christmas tree are yet to arrive, and they keep pushing the date further and further away. It's now from yesterday to December uh, 10th is when it will show up. I'm hoping it will show up earlier. But it's because of a lack of drivers for 18-wheelers and a lack of 18-wheelers. And we're having the problem nationwide. I actually read a really interesting article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal. It was the Wall Street Journal. About have you heard about this? Um, tractor trailer spelunkers, they call them. Tractor trailer spelunkers. It's people who buy uh, the tractor trailer things, uh, the 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 storage things that are on the back of the eighteen wheelers that are stuck in the ports because they have goods that the companies no longer want. Because there's like maybe food that's going to expire or goods that are no longer in season. And so they abandon them and they get sold by the ports to spelunkers who essentially enter the unit and whatever is in there, they've bought. They don't even necessarily know what's in the in the storage units, in the containers. And so they were doing an article with this guy. This guy, he bought one. It had uh, cheese in it and rice and video games, and uh, what else? It had parts for cars, and then it had food that was already expired. And so the food and the cheese that was already expired said would be sold to fermentation energy systems. They use fermentation to produce energy. And the rice he was sure he could find a buyer for because it was individually packed. It was just it was fascinating to know that there are people who go out there. Uh, he called it what's the um, what's the TV show about the people who buy the storage units 
They like go, they bid for the contents. There's a whole storage wars, storage wars on, was it TLC or something, where the, the people go in, they get the storage units, and they try to recapture and resell whatever's in the storage units. This is essentially storage wars for the containers at the ports. They don't have enough people unloading in the ports. By the way, the ports in Los Angeles and Long Beach, the Longshoremen Union, has decided they are they've rejected plans to speed up. They've rejected plans to pull all-nighters. But there also are not enough 18-wheelers. One of the things uh, that the East Coast has done and the South in particular has done is they've embraced the idea of inland ports. So Florida, Georgia, Texas, Louisiana all have ports, and they've embraced these inland ports. So what are inland ports? Well, let's just use Georgia, for example, where I am. Uh, Ships go up the Savannah River. And they dock in Savannah. It's a pretty sizable port. They've deepened it. They've expanded it so more ships can get in. They offload those containers. Well, the containers are then offloaded onto trains. And the trains or the 18-wheelers that take them then drive two hours into Georgia. And they drop them off at a facility there. Now, they're not allowed to stop and open. Everything's got to be sealed up. The drivers, if they need to stop and get gas, they can. The trains don't stop. They go into an inland port, and the customs agents handle the customs there so it frees up capacity at the ports. Well, now you got problems in some places. They're they're packing, they're, they're stacking up the containers in these inland ports, and there aren't enough 18-wheelers. In the south now, because we don't have the burdens that California has for restricting the sorts of tractor-trailers and 18-wheelers that can come in, uh, the, the southeast is flowing. And they don't have as many backlogs. But the stuff that comes from China typically goes into Los Angeles and Long Beach and San Francisco and Washington State. The reason being is otherwise there's this whole thing called South America they got to get around. And some of those ships are too big. They can't go through the Panama Canal. So they literally have to go all the way down uh, to the Straits of Magellan and come back around South America. And it takes forever. So they try to go into Long Beach and into Los Angeles, and that's where the big bottleneck is. And it's not getting any better, and Joe Biden can't make it get better, and it's causing shoppers to be without toys for their kids for Christmas, no Xboxes and things like that. That's a real problem out there. we got to deal with it. All right, when we come back, your calls, 877-973-7425. But also, did you know there may be a big energy crisis coming to the United States? I'm not talking Texas snowstorms. There's new data out, and it is causing all sorts of people to start to fret about what the winter season may hold. Hi there. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phones. Joseph, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you, sir. A beautiful day here in Atlanta. Probably a lot more nicer down in Macon also than what it looks. I'm actually oh, in I, Atlanta. I got a, I got my big oh. annual bourbon and butts event I do tonight for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. So I had to be up here to drink bourbon. Oh, darn. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's the things you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> about two months ago, I asked you about Stacey Abrams and her Fair Fight Action Committee. And if you go to her website, her picture's still on there. Now, how does that work with her announcing to be... The candidate now. Oh, so you know this this one's very interesting. The question is under Georgia law, uh, yeah. does she have to step down because she's not a federal candidate? And I think under Georgia law now, she probably doesn't have to depart from it. I think she probably will. 
uh, but she doesn't have yes. to. The, and the problem here is coordination. You still, even under Georgia law, you can't have direct coordination between outside groups and the campaign because of funding requirements and uh, the, the limits. So she doesn't have to immediately step aside, but she's going to have to step aside as the campaign ramps up. Now, you and I both know that doesn't mean anything. Uh, there are going to be enough yeah. people embedded between coordination still going to happen. Yes. But, All right. Well, I do appreciate yeah, that absolutely, clarification. Joseph. Sure. Thanks very much. Um, the phone number here, 877-973-7425, if you want to call in. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see nationally – how this shapes up. Now, let, let me let me pull back from Georgia because I, I, I got a lot of states that aren't Georgia. They don't necessarily care about Georgia, but let me put this all in national perspective for you. In the off-year election after a president has won, that party tends to do poorly, not just at the congressional level, but at the state level. In 2010, the Democrats suffered the worst losses they had ever suffered going back to 1896 when Republicans just swept them out. I mean, to, to put this in perspective, in the 2010 midterm elections, Democrats lost more seats nationwide down to dog catcher than they had lost at any time since 1896. And they've never fully recovered. I mean, if you fast forward even to um, 2018, the first midterm after Donald Trump was elected, the Democrats did well in Congress, but they didn't do well at the um, at the at the state and local level necessarily outside of blue states. And. The result is not only a declining Democratic bench, but you're having Republicans more and more able to lay the groundwork to lock in another decade of dominance based on redistricting, which is one reason the Democrats are starting to complain about gerrymandering, despite what they've done in Maryland, New York, and Illinois. They don't like that Republicans can lock themselves in at the state level. And in, in, let, let me just give you where I know Georgia, or let's talk, let's talk about Texas. In Texas, the Republicans were able to draw the lines that will secure them in the state legislature, not just in Congress for the next decade. In Georgia, one of the things the state House did is they actually gave up five seats because by giving up those five seats, they were able to structure a map that won't see population shifts probably impact them for a decade so that in 10 more years, they'll be able to redraw the lines again. These things really do matter. And the Republicans have, though they're very notorious for playing short-term thinking on public policy, Republicans are playing long-term thinking on electoral advantage. But, you know, there's a downside on that, too. By Republicans playing long games on entrenching power and short gain on policy, when the shifts do come, they shift ever more rapidly for the Democrats. And this is one reason why I think Republicans need to focus on education, because if Republicans start playing a long game on education in states like Texas and Georgia, if they embrace what Florida did under uh, Jeb Bush, 
that have been embraced by the Republican governors there since. They start giving entitlements to black and Hispanic families that are stuck in private public schools, allowing them to get into private schools. Suddenly, it becomes a lot easier for them to maintain their dominance. In Florida, where the demographic shifts looked like they were working against the Republicans, the political shifts actually helped the GOP because black and Hispanic voters knew the Democrats would get rid of education entitlements into private schools. Republicans need to be thinking about that. One of the other things they got to think about is energy. I mentioned before the break this energy crisis that looks like it's coming. I mentioned a little bit yesterday. I've got a little more data now. In the United States and in Europe, Democratic administrations at the state level here and at the and uh, progressive politicians at the national level in Europe are trying to so rapidly shift away from fossil fuels and boost renewables. They're looking at Texas situations around the world. It is true, and I got some really angry angry mail from someone who considers himself an energy expert. It is true that you can build windmills, wind turbines, that have heaters built in so that they don't freeze up in the winter months. And Texas, one of the cheapest wind turbines, and as a result, bought many of them that didn't have the heaters. But in Europe as well, the heaters only get you so far and the temperatures drop so far that you can still have problems with the wind turbines. And also, the wind isn't necessarily guaranteed to blow, nor is the sun guaranteed to shine. And in the winter months, as you all know, it's you get less sunshine. The result is that in Europe and in places like California in this country and in Washington State and in uh, some of the, the – like Massachusetts and Maine – there's been such a push to renewable energy, you don't have baseload power. Baseload power comes from fossil fuels and nuclear, and California is even winding down nuclear power plants. The result is, if you look at the weather patterns in the Pacific, we could have an East Coast that has a pretty good cold snap this winter. In states like Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, Alabama, they're, they're largely going to be fine uh, Southern company states that are uh, FPL, Georgia Power, Alabama Power, they're going to be mostly okay. But in places like California, if they get some cold weather in California, they don't have the power grid to be able to sustain it. And in Europe, they're already you've got academics now, liberal academics in Europe warning that we're going to have problems in Europe with countries that have gotten rid of coal and natural gas and never developed nuclear. They've gone to solar and wind, and they're going to be more and more reliant on Russia. And the Russians are trying to coerce some of these European countries into a new military alliance to counter NATO. Some of them are members of NATO, and the Russians want to withhold gas to get them in. The Biden administration, even the the Germans who had wanted the the Nordstrom pipeline to come in, are now thinking this is a bad idea. We can't be dependent on on Russia. But there are so many militant environmentalists now, they can't make a shift back to natural gas. There's really not a good way out of this. And a lot of people are going to be hurt. And you know what's going to actually happen here? It's going to turn a lot of people off to the environmental movement. Because there's a direct blame between the environmental push for renewables and the lack of available power if there's a cold snap. And that's going to further undermine global warming uh, efforts. And you know who's going to be really upset? Greta Thunberg, 
Greta Thunberg is going to scowl even more at, at the Europeans for not living up to things. And, you know, the environmentalists actually think a few dead people is actually a good thing because you're reducing the amount of people who produce carbon emissions. It will lower the carbon footprint of planet Earth if more people die, so it'll be a good thing for the environmentalists. Listen, y'all can be upset with me for saying it, but you know darn well it's true. And there's going to be a backlash. Progressive policies are more and more generating backlashes. The progressive environmental policies, backlash. The progressive defund the police effort, backlash. The progressive tax efforts, backlash. We're going to constantly be having more and more backlash as a a result of this. And that's good for conservatives and it's also good for industry. It's good for business. And maybe, just maybe, we can finally get people to start investing more in uh, in, in fossil fuel and nuclear energy and maybe even geothermal energy, which we don't really do in this country, but we could, as opposed to relying on solar and wind. Now, let's get back to the phones. 877-973-7425. Richard, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Eric, thank you very much. I think you were playing this little snippet early in the early part of your show. There's a talk show host out of New York who, when he comes on nationally, he's a whiny guy. And I flip his, I change the channel as quickly as I can or the radio. And he was saying, you ran a quote from him saying that Brian Kemp should drop out of the race. That is idiotic. And that man is idiotic. And he's blatantly kissing up to Trump, which is stupid. So that's all. So, I, that's all right. All so, Richard, let, let me set the record straight. For those of you listening nationally, no, it wasn't me. It was apparently the newsroom at WSB Radio, my flagship station, playing this clip uh, from Sean Hannity, uh, where Sean Hannity suggests that Brian Kemp is the one who should drop out of the race for Georgia governor, which is absurd. I don't know if Hannity's hanging out at Mar-a-Lago too much or not. Um, apparently, Mar-a-Lago stay, stay there too long. It, it can be hazardous to your thinking. There's no reason for Kemp to back out of this, but this is part of the problem that it's not just Georgia that's going to have to deal with it. It's other states as well where Donald Trump is nursing grudges. You're going to have people try to sabotage these races on really bad thinking. It is certainly true that Brian Kemp's polling is not at 50% in Georgia. Like Greg Abbott's polling is not at 50% in Texas. That does not mean that he's vulnerable. What it does mean, though, is that you do have a committed Democratic base and you have Trump partisans. Here, ultimately, this is this is the problem. Trump partisans in a state like Georgia cannot win a general election. They alienate the suburbs. David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler did not win the runoff because a lot of Republicans sat home. They were convinced the election was stolen. You give the Trump supporters what they want, a lot of non-Trump supporters are going to stay home because they think they're too radical. And these are independent voters in the suburbs who tend to lean Republican, but they don't like Trump. You tie yourself too much to Trump in Georgia, you get hurt. Look at Brian Kemp in 2018. Brian Kemp in 2018 barely was able to eke out without a runoff because – not because of Republicans, but because a lot of suburban voters thought he was too Trump-like. When he proved himself to be his own man, they all came back to him. In fact, he did pretty well because those voters came back to him. He's being dragged down now to some degree by the angst against him by Trump supporters, but they themselves, their guy can't get it without without the Kemp people. The problem here is the math only works for Kemp. 
There was early on polling that suggested other people could beat Kemp and win. That's all kind of gone away in large part because of Kemp's handling of the economy during COVID. Uh, Georgia has the number is the number one state in low unemployment of the top 10 populous states in the country. It's actually even beating out Florida right now and places like Ohio and Texas. Uh, the economy in Georgia is very, very strong. A lot of industry has moved to Georgia as a result of the way Kip handled it. So he's got a successful story to tell. The question is whether or not the Trump voters can get over their butthurt, whether Donald Trump can as well about the election. It wasn't stolen. He lost. But they've believed and embraced the mythology that there was something Kemp could do. They believe the mythology that the race in Georgia was stolen. There were certainly shenanigans. I, I don't dispute there were shenanigans. There just weren't enough shenanigans to overcome it. They keep talking about 11,000-some-odd votes. But there were a lot of people who just chose not to vote. In fact, there was about a 30,000 undervote. In the presidential race. Now you're saying, wait a second, isn't that proof of voter fraud? People, they, they voted in these other races, but not the presidential. You know what? It's actually less than 2016 when, when uh, Donald Trump won the state. A lot of people chose not to vote in the presidential race in Georgia. And those people, they turned out for Leffler and Purdue in the runoff by six percentage point shift. But it wasn't enough for all the people who internalized the election was stolen. Republicans in Georgia, if they can't get on the same page, they're going to lose to Abrams. And if you have a situation where Brian Kemp gets a stiff challenge, that person's not going to win in terms of fundraising and message and support of the base. But they can do real damage and keep Kemp from winning. So the question is, do you want Stacey Abrams to be governor of Georgia? Or are you going to go on a suicide mission to try to take out Brian Kemp and ensure Abrams gets elected? That's ultimately what's at stake here. And I frankly don't think that candidates who lost to Democrats should in a lower turnout year try to run. Brian Kemp beat Stacey Abrams. No one else has done that. Might as well go with the guy who's already beaten her once and let him beat her again as opposed to going with someone who couldn't beat a Democrat last time, claiming they're the only one who can this time, the math just doesn't seem to work out. And having Sean Hannity on national radio making claims that Brian Kemp needs to drop out, uh, it, it may make Donald Trump feel good, but you jeopardize a winnable seat in Georgia by doing so. I don't think it's smart politics out there. Uh, it, it's the, the politics of personality, not the politics of winning. Now, if you want to be a winner for your Christmas season, maybe you should consider getting need and pure for yourself or for your friends. You see something, smell something smelly in a house, the Eden Pure eliminates odors. I use it when I fry shrimp in the house because my wife, oh my gosh, does she hate shellfish and we don't have an exhaust vent in our kitchen. So when she and the kids are out of town, I can fry shrimp in the kitchen and then I turn on the Eden Pure and it wipes out the smell. You never know that I fried shrimp in the kitchen. It works for the tobacco odors. I, I will tell you, and I know they're not fans of the story, so my apologies, but it's a true, real, honest to God story. I rented a car in Louisiana and the thing smelled so bad of marijuana, I plugged in my Eden Pure Thunderstorm and it cleaned up the car. Real world, true story. It absolutely did because it was otherwise noxious and the Eden Pure took care of it because it doesn't just eliminate the bacteria and the mildew and the mold and the pollen. It wipes out the odors. It doesn't mask them. It wipes them out. I use this thing when I travel. I've started taking it to hotels because it works. And you can get three of them. You can save $200. You can get them for less than $200 and get free shipping by going to EdenPureDeals.com. 
Click on my name, Eric Erickson, put the Eden Pure Thunderstorm Air Purifier 3-pack in your cart, and at checkout, use the discount code ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. It really works. I use it when I travel. You can get three of them. Save $200, get them for less than $200, get free shipping, a great gift for Christmas as well for people. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, if you are a subscriber to my Substack uh, newsletter, you can listen to my interview with Brian Kemp again. Just text the word DATA to 33777. Uh, the bottom link that you will get texted back is the newsletter. Uh, you can subscribe for free to get the uh, Brian Kemp interview. It'll, and of course, um, well, it's relevant as the news goes on with even, I guess, Sean Hannity out there saying he shouldn't run again, which is just kind of silly. Um, you know, I, I, I do try to make an effort to learn the politics of the various states before I get involved in the politics, and I guess everybody kind of should. I am actually interested in talking to J.D. Vance, who's running for the Ohio Senate. I need to get him on the show to talk to him because, you know, he's one of those guys who in 2016 was deeply skeptical of Donald Trump and then, like me, uh, decided he could support him in 2020. Actually has become a pretty big vocal booster to Donald Trump, the Club for Growth. I'm a big fan of the Club for Growth. They're coming after uh, J.D. Vance, uh, running ads, reminding people he didn't support the president in 2016. Vance pushing back very hard. And it's kind of becoming a slugfest between him and Josh Mandel. Now, the Club for Growth is backing Josh. And I had said I would back Josh, but Josh is coming off like an insane person. And I'm kind of embarrassed uh, for him. I don't know that he has a sense of shame at this point. But I, I'm, I wouldn't mind talking to all those candidates as well. I'm actually intrigued by the J.D. Vance candidacy, given his background, given his positions. I don't agree with him on everything. But it's kind of an intriguing campaign. But the whole Peter Thiel connection kind of has me worried because it sounds like Thiel, who can't run for president, um, given his his uh, birth, it wasn't an American citizen. It just I don't know. I'm interested in this race. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution if you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business. First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan. Say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 